You're listening to P.F.'s Tape Recorder. This is the biggest name in comedy, Kostaki Economopoulos. Hello there, I'm P.F. This is my tape recorder. Coming up, it's Dwight Slade. Free speech is overrated. The problem with free speech is you put free in front of any word and it acts like free on Craigslist. You get the same kind of reaction, same kind of people. So avoid free speech, avoid anything for free. This is another one of those interviews I uh, stacked up before the holidays and then forgot about, like the Carmen Lynch interview uh, last week. But this is the last one I have uh, in the bucket. Um, I have a couple more after the holidays, but uh, this is the oldest one I had, so I figured we would run this one because uh, it's always fun to talk to Dwight. He's been on the show before. We have a song of the week coming up from Phosphorescent. I think you're going to really enjoy that. And uh, before that, of course, uh, before the interview, we're going to get to a dumb bit. It's time for another edition of... It's Facebook, not Factbook. So a little different Facebook, not Factbook this week. A a friend of mine from college posted uh, a news story and as soon as I saw it, I saw it was a, a picture, um, and there's a little note on a door of a restaurant, and it says, Little Caesars puts note on front of restaurant, or something like that. That was the, the tease, or the headline. I'm like, oh, geez, what happened now? But no, it was actually this. Not long ago, employees started noticing people were eating leftover pizza out of the garbage. The owner's Band-Aid to that problem hangs in the drive through window. This note addressed to those eating out of the trash. It reads, you're a human being and worth more than a meal from a dumpster, then invites those hungry people in for a couple free slices, no questions asked. So this happened in Fargo, North Dakota, the Little Caesars restaurant, and that's cheap pizza to begin with. And by the way, let me uh, stop you right there. I know that people put the knock on it being terrible because it's $5 pizza. And look, it's $5. You're going to get $5 worth of pizza. But even for $5, I mean, I've never not really enjoyed Little Caesars pizza. I prefer it to frozen, certainly, and the crazy bread, yum, yum. So anyway, um, so yeah, so my friend posted this, and I posted under, I said, oh, this isn't how I thought this was going to turn out at all. In fact, it was a lot better than I thought it was going to turn out. I thought they were going to say, like, hey, stay out of our dumpster, and, you know, don't be eating our food and things like that, or go to a shelter, or whatever. But no, they were nice, and they're, they're helping out uh, some homeless folks, which is terrific. And then someone below my comment said, oh, well, Little Caesars is still a terrible company. And I thought, uh-oh. And I wrote, is this like a Papa John's thing or a Jimmy John's? Are we supposed to be mad at, at, mad at somebody here? And uh, the person said, well, it's a terrible company and, uh, and we shouldn't support them. So I Googled and around and looking. I'm like, well, the only thing I can find on Little Caesars is this. Judge Keith says Mike and Marion Illich paid Rosa Parks rent at the Riverfront Apartments in downtown Detroit from that moment until the day Parks died more than a decade later. Yeah, so the late owner paid Rosa Parks' rent, and not only that, he gave millions and millions of dollars to other charities. So, I mean, it's like the opposite of Papa John's, actually, and uh, Jimmy John and all those other Johns we're supposed to be mad at. And I'm like, I don't see why we're supposed to be mad at Little Caesar, and the guy fired back. Well, their management, their customer service, I'm like, ah, blah, 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 blah. Look, if you've listened to this podcast... Uh, at all in the past and heard me have these discussions with, you know, comedians and other people is, look, I'm suspicious of any large system, government or business. And if you have a big system, you're going to have problems somewhere within there. Not everybody's going to be on the same page. 
And I've never had a problem with Little Caesars. Personally, when we used to have our church groups, you know, we'd get Little Caesars pizza because it was cheap and it was good and kids ate it and I ate it and it was fine. So I don't see any reason at all to be mad at Little Caesars. You know, finally, when someone's doing something right, you know, let's celebrate it. You you got a bad pizza once or they didn't, or they gave you cheese instead of pepperoni. Okay, well, that's fine. But I mean, they're also feeding homeless people and paying Rosa Parks' rent. So, you know, Another case, too, where I think most people think this is going to be an exercise in, you know, bashing the establishment or bashing some conservative cause. But no, this is a big business doing the right thing. And, you know, the the same rule applies, but in a different way when we say... It's Facebook, not Factbook. Dwight Slade is a stand-up comedian who got to start in, I believe it was Houston, Texas, um, and he is touring the country uh, all the time in clubs and theaters across the country. He was uh, based in Portland, Oregon. He has since moved, I think, uh, back to Austin, Texas, if memory serves. In any case, here is our interview with Dwight Slade. I mean, if you, if you had to change your um, your set a lot, that's always the big concern, I guess. And some some guys have two, two completely different sets. Others, you know, just use their regular set. It, 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 how's that been for you? Uh, I've I've really enjoyed uh, developing a number of sets, and so I have I have five different thirty minute sets. It's uh, really forced me to write a lot, and um, and also I kind of do audience work and weave it in. So it's been a very creative process for me uh, that I don't mind. And uh, do you get a lot of time like to work on the ship? Because some, um, you know, some guys, find, I know one guy from, I can't remember his name, he was from Columbus, but he um, he wrote a book while he was on the ship because he's, he's only worked an hour <laughs> the whole week. So I can't remember who that was, but um, yeah, <laughs> he wrote a book and had me edit it. And um, yeah. Oh, was, wow. Yeah, uh, I don't think he ever got it. He, he published it. They didn't like the way it came out, so he had me like re-edit it. But then it, it never got republished. But anyway, I see. Yeah, we had a lot of a lot of free time on his hands, and so he he did that. And do you also find that to be the case, or you just relax the rest of the time when you're on the boat, or what? Uh, I'd like to say I was endeavorous, and I and I do. I I usually spend the morning sort of tapping away at essays or whatever. But uh, but I'm. I, uh, I have a tendency to, to be lazy, so. Huh. Yeah, I know um, my favorite line of anyone who's, who's done that is uh, Chris Porter was said he did it once and he would never do it again. He said, your accommodations are just one step above a uh, white-collar prison. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and I work for uh, Carnival, which is uh, the only cruise agency that you can buy a ticket through Dollar Tree. <laughs> there you go. Um, so where are you cruising to? What's the what, what's the voyage like? Uh, I got on in Roatan, Honduras, which is a, a kind of like marine uh, uh, cruise port in, um, down in Central America, and now we're headed back toward Galveston, and we'll get a new crew on, and then um, do new shows for uh, new passengers. That's cool. Uh, do you mostly just do the Caribbean? Because I know um, who was it. Uh, Pat Francis is friend of uh, Mike, not Mike Schmidt, the mm-hmm. other Mike. Uh, he was uh, he got to go, got to go to Europe, and he's loving being on the boats. Yeah, I, I generally it's in. There's some West Coast ships that go out of Long Beach 
and um, and I've done the, I do those about a quarter of the time, but then the other parts of the time they send me out to the rest of their fleet. So you're going, they try to get you uh, on uh, all of their boats uh, in a year. So like like fifteen, twenty different ships per year. Oh wow. So uh, is it nice? Yeah. I guess it's nice to uh, get into the clubs then and and do some like I guess your other sets. Yeah, what, what I find is that the 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 audiences on cruise ships that are on vacation they're generally not familiar with kind of what stand up is has evolved into, um, and so you really have to hit a home run every single show on the on the boats. But when you're in a comedy club. Especially a club like Acme, you can afford to, um, you know, uh, uh, try out some of your stuff. They encourage you to do it. They, they say, we'd like you to do a new 15 minutes while you're at the, at the club this week, which is which is a bonus because audiences get to see the first kind of formulations of some hopefully original material. The bad side is it's not completely fleshed out and um, uh, not as polished as it might be. Playing these different varieties of venues, do you think people's notions of, and especially with help by the internet, have people's notions of comedy become a little more sophisticated than maybe they were in the 80s and 90s, maybe during the last boom, or do people still have the kind of these antiquated notions of of all that's involved? Uh, I mean, the the profile for stand-up in the last even three years is just, it's just mercuric. You know, it's it's so far above what it's been before. Uh, audiences are hungry for it. You know, we have a generation now. This is the first generation that's grown up with George Carlin and Richard Pryor. This is not; these aren't new things. These are things that were in their comedic lifeblood for the beginning of their entertainment lives. You know, people. Um, People have grown up with stand-up, and they're um, they're really hungry for n- n- new and and unique uh, perspectives of stand-up. That's interesting because um, uh, you're probably just a little younger than me, but when I grew up, it was kind of on that cusp of like my first favorite comedian was Bob Hope because you know it was the old we only had three channels. The only time you ever really saw comedy if you were a kid was like one of those specials. You, you couldn't stay up and watch the Tonight Show. You know, I didn't do that till I was a little older. And so, yeah, it kind of was that. And he, even though, as it turned, I learned later that Bob Hope was genuinely funny. Uh, I was also t- my father told me early on he goes, "Oh, he's got a whole staff of writers that he calls them up any time, and you know, and gets a joke." And I was like, "Oh, I was a little disappointed to hear that." But then I later learned that he did write some of his own stuff. But then, as he got older, he mostly relied on his writers, which is fine, of course. But yeah, it is kind of that you get that different view of it, I guess. Um, but like you said, now that mm-hmm. you've grown up with, you know. Kids today still know and respect George Carlin, where Bob Hope's a little too old timey, maybe for them. Yeah, yeah. The result is that you get a really wide variety of, of of audiences that come to comedy clubs. Some of them have grown up with the boom in the eighties and the nineties, and others are sort of new to it. That you know uh, really got hooked into stand up because of Tig um, Notaro or or you know, a name like that that's sort of um, that sort of reinvented stand-up for a new audience. 
So, again, having played all these different varieties of venues, do you think the state of comedy is healthy? Because, you know, it seems like there's a lot of comedy out there, and yet our uh, club that's akin to the Acme here in Cincinnati kind of struggling to put butts in the seats, even though they bring in, you know, you know proper comedians, and, you know, it's the, the, the audiences they do bring in respect the craft, but there doesn't seem to be enough of them in Cincinnati to, to always fill the place. Well, it's because millennials are broke. That, that That's... That may be part of it. Is yeah, is that they, uh, they, they're. They, I mean, it, uh, millennials have a lot to choose from, um, mainly because they're and they're not guided by the typical forms of marketing. You know, we we grew up with like three types of marketing: radio, TV, and newspaper. And and now I think um, millennial generation has, you know pounding with social media and 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 wanting their um, wanting their attention that's true it is it's amazing all the different vehicles that are out it's, it's amazing what YouTube has done for both singers and comedians and and people say that there well there's no filter but but in the end there really is because you still have to be good otherwise you're not going to get a following. And and the and your your window to make an impression is is small. I mean, I had I did one of those dry bar um, specials. Oh yeah. A clip of mine went with 1.9 million views. That's nearly two million people saw my stand up, and and there was this little window on my. I, I got uh, a feedback from XM and Sirius. And it just showed this big spike um, just in the last couple of months uh, of people having uh, hearing and connecting with um, some, of, some of my different clips that are on XM. Yeah, I, um, a lot of people have done that dry bar thing. My boss did one of those, uh, Josh Sneed, and he's um, oh, really? yeah, he's been doing a role with it. And then uh, I guess Ben Washburn, Greg Warren. And this other guy I've never heard mm-hmm. of who did a thing about marching bands, and my daughter was a marching band, so I shared it with her, and she loved it and shared it with all her friends. So um, that, that seems to be working Great. pretty well for everybody. Yeah. So what, what kind of stuff are you talking about on stage these days when you get into the club? What, what's where, where, you're un, where it's Dwight Unleashed? Well, um, I'm, you know, again, it's a mixture of um, the classic hits. I want to make sure people walk out of there thoroughly entertained. And then new stuff that I'm sort of working on, um, uh, you know, namely, it, uh, it's, it's a message for men to make sure their ladies, if they're going out on a date, are properly fed. Uh, <laughs> w- women get hangry very easily, and you got to get them food. You got to get them, and preferably bread. Women love carbohydrates and and, and bread, and so go. To, and feed them that before you go out. Otherwise, it's going to be it's going to be hard for you. Um, I, I also talk about, a little bit about why I'm a Trump supporter. That's a completely <laughs> tongue in cheek. Sure, sure. But it's all the wrong reasons to be a Trump supporter. So I, uh, that's what I'm, I'm talking about. It's e- being a Trump supporter is easy. There's not a lot of wonky um, chit chat. You know. Problems are solved when you say they're solved. <laughs> I don't see what could be easier than that. Exactly. So, 
Yeah, I was talking to somebody the other, another comedian, a couple of weeks ago, and I was saying I'm thinking of becoming a Republican because it's so easier. Don't have to believe in science. If women get raped, God will make it go away. Uh, it's all these great things. It's just so much easier than you know worrying about like facts and science and things that are actually happening. <laughs> so much less stressful. Yeah, and free speech is overrated. It, sure. It really, the, the problem with free speech is you put free in front of any word, and it acts like free on Craigslist. You get the <laughs> same kind of reaction, same kind of people. So avoid free speech. Avoid anything for free. That's what I say. Yeah. And I also point out to people, I say, hey, look, don't don't believe the media. Don't believe the thousands and thousands of media outlets that are out there. Believe the guy in charge because he's got no reason to lie. <laughs> you got nothing. You got nothing. Uh, on the line. No, no, there's nothing to hide. He's, he's totally on the up and up. He's he's looking out for he's looking out for you right, right from his gold toilet. Yeah, well, you know, when you're shameless, you, there's not a lot to lose. Yeah. So I guess that balance between you know performing the the cleaner stuff uh, on the ships and do, uh, doing the club is is it a relief to kind of go back and forth between the two? Do you kind of get you know on the ship get tired of not being able to talk about it, but then glad to get back there and say now I can just talk about silly stuff or you know more generic stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, my favorite stuff is clean and sort of uh, accessible to a lot of different people. I just, that's the way my brain works. But, you know, there's also this side of me that, uh, you know, likes to engage audiences and stuff that you don't normally see or hear. And I think audiences like that, too. They're like a little bit of mixture of, you know, like the Jim Gaffigan and uh, meets the Josh Sneed sometimes. Well, there, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, it's interesting how the kind of those styles evolve, um, and it's weird too. As I'm thinking about it, because I was having this discussion with my daughter the other day, it's like I'm not one of these old guys that says, "Oh, music was better back in the old days." But if you look at the charts in both here and in the UK, there is a certain sameness right now in the charts. It's a lot of either indie rock, which is fine, or it's a gal rapping, or a guy rapping, and then a gal singing a nice melody usually, and that's it. But with comedy, we still seem to have a lot of different comedy styles. We still have impressionists. We still have people that do silly stuff. We have people like uh, Robert Hawkins that just come out and fire one-liners at you. Uh, so I, it, it is nice to see that 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 variety. What what do you kind of owe that to? The fact that on one hand people love a variety of comedy, but on the other hand they don't seem to take that same in other forms of entertainment. Well, I think part of it is there's been this transition between. Um, Comedy. The, the, it used to be that comic, comedy was all about the content of the joke, and the comedian was secondary. And now I find that that's a little bit switched. That it's uh, it's and people want to know more about the comedian, and they want to they want to feel something with the comedian. And and, and there's less emphasis on the joke and more on how you feel about a comic. And um, uh, some people just simply will not like me. I find that, uh, which is actually, most of the demographic doesn't like me, no. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, I think that um, the different genders and different age groups like different stand-up, and, um, and you, you have to sort of pick what your voice is and, and work on that and communicate it with that. Yeah, that, that is a good point, because a lot of times you see, you know, you think a joke on paper probably isn't very funny, but depending on who tells it, you know, they they can really sell it, particularly if it if it fits their persona. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I remember um, years ago hearing that um, 
I saw an interview with uh, Jake Johansson, and he said that he had uh, told Jerry Seinfeld, they traded jokes or something like that, and one of the ones that Jake Johansson actually wrote that Jerry Seinfeld ended up doing was the one about traffic being so bad that eventually you'll be backing up. And Jake's like, I don't really have anything for that because I'm a storyteller. That's just a single thing. It doesn't really fit into, and of course it fit perfectly for Jerry, so, and it was very hilarious right. in his voice, yeah. That's really cool. Uh, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So what else do you do when you're, like, you know, not doing the comedy thing? I, uh, we may have discussed this before, but what do you do when you're off duty? Um, well, I, um, I, just, I just moved. I, um, uh, I was living uh, in Portland, Oregon, and uh, I had a cool little house there. And um, my wife and I, my wife got another job, so we moved to Boise. And, oh, wow. Um, got another place there and I'm renting out my other house and uh, so she's working and uh, I, I kind of we just literally in the last week moved to Boise which has a really nice young comedy scene there it's sort of a this kind of blue dot in a very red state hmm. so um, yeah sort of readjusting ah. so it's, it's kind of cool to be in that burgeoning comedy scene kind of like uh, you feel kind of refreshed it seems like it'd be really cool to be jump into something like that where it's you know, just up and coming. Yeah, I think so. It's sort of, you know, that's one of the reasons we decided to move. Was I've been, I was in Portland since 1983. Oh, wow. And um, I just, I, I started to feel like every time I turned a corner in my car, there was a bad memory. Like, oh, that was a bad relationship. And then, <laughs> oh, well, I remember that when I ate it at that club. And I was like, I need a fresh start. I need a place that just has no history and no no hang-ups for me. So, um, you know, I, it's just part of my process to burn as many bridges as I possibly can. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for that. I know a lot of people like to stay in the same place because they get comfortable, but then after a while you're kind of like, you know, I don't... Like when I... You know, I'm from Cleveland originally, but I always tell people, I mean, if somebody offered me a ton of money... I would certainly move back. I'd have no problem moving back, but I don't have any desire to because I, I did Cleveland. I did all the things. And same thing with Pittsburgh. I am very fond of Pittsburgh. I still have a lot of good friends there. Wow. But, you know, again, unless you get me I should let you know that I'm on this calling card, and so if, oh. if, it, if it shuts off, I'll call you right back. Oh, that's just, fine. Just well, we're almost done here anyway, so uh, I think I've got uh, plenty of stuff yeah. here for the, the City Pages piece, and uh, it'll be in print and online. Uh, the week you're up there in Minneapolis, as always. And uh, I can't remember, you've been in Cincinnati recently, I think, haven't you? Or, or within the last, weren't you at one of the... I, I have not. I've, oh. I've gotten real close. We've always tried to get dates, and it just has not worked out. So I, I have never been to Cincinnati. I, hmm. I'm a huge fan of the club because of who they right, the, right. The booking. And, and I love Josh and uh, and Josh Need and... Anyway, so I'll put, I'll put a bug. I'm gonna keep hammering away. I'll put a bug in the GM's ear and see if we can. I'll I'll, ha- I'll give me your email address. That's usually what I do. I just say, hey, passing this along. Do with it what you will, and and usually, <laughs> sometimes he gets back to folks, and sometimes he doesn't. Great. But, um, great. Right, we'll see. Oh, that would be wonderful. Thank you. Awesome. Well, great talking to you again, man. And uh, and have... yeah, likewise. Thanks for uh, the call. I appreciate the interview. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Bye bye. Right. Talk to you later. Bye bye. Thanks again to Dwight Slade for being on the show. Dwight has not updated his uh, tour dates on his website, which is DwightSlade.com, so you need to check back there 
or just check you know, the local listings of your local comedy club and see when he's coming around because he is hilarious. I, I reckon maybe he's doing like maybe corporate work and working on some other things too, which maybe he doesn't have some dates booked this early in 2019. So the usual plugs, of course, nearly lies a YouTube channel. She will have some stuff up there soon, hopefully. I've uh, been very busy. Check, check Hayes, blog, uh, same situation, but they're both doing really well in school, so uh, I support that. And then when they have their spare time, they will get to their uh, the, those pursuits as well, hopefully. Which brings us now to the song of the week. Song of the week for the next couple of weeks, I reckon is going to be uh, like this. Uh, songs that I missed in 2018 that I found from other people's like podcasts and lists. And um, uh, Phosphorescent and I heard on the Rock Solid 2018 wrap-up, our friends over at Rock Solid. I think this was Murray Valeriano's pick. And boy, talk about a blind spot for this band. These guys have been around. Well, it's one guy. His name is Matthew Hauk, and he's from... Uh, originally from Huntsville, Alabama, but he got his start in music in Athens, GA, you know, REM, Guadalcanal, Diary, Pylon, all that stuff. And uh, he's got seven albums going back to 2003, and a live album on top of that. And he released an album last year called Say La Vie, and Murray played this track from it, and I thought, wow, this is really good. So uh, I think you're going to enjoy it as well. It's called New Birth in New England, and uh, yeah, I'm going to have to kind of go backwards and really dig into this uh, catalog here, because this is like straight in my basket. It's kind of triple-A but it's still not and it's not quite as dad rocky as that and uh, you can kind of hear the athens in there as well and i think it's really cool so uh, a new birth through a new england our track of the week on pf tape recorder so long and thanks for listening i was sitting at a bar in new england i was thinking about another beer i had a lady playing on a piano yeah it was like an hour cut to my ear Everything was on the re-